Hello, everybody. It's Dave Neal, stand-up comic host of Bachelor Nation News, coming to you on this Friday, uh, September 29th. That's right. We got Rebecca Black's Friday in the background. So I know it's going to be a good one. Bachelor Rush Hour starts right now. Oh, boy. You guys have a good one today. Uh, we got some great content to you to, to get to you. I've got Nick Thompson from Love is Blind. He's got the UCAN Foundation. We got his updates. He talks about the petition to add a disclaimer to reality TV stars. We'll have all that and more in today's Bachelor Rush Hour. All right, we're getting down on Friday. Let's cut the heck. I don't know if you guys like it when I play Rebecca Bra- Rebecca Black or don't. Either way, it's Friday, baby. Uh, tomorrow's a big day. We've got Chad from Game of Roses on Driving with Dave. If there's any updates to the schedule, I'll let you know. But I am so excited to drop that interview. And today's a special uh, Bachelor Rush Hour podcast because I don't normally do interviews on a Friday, but I'm actually in the sky. That's right. I am flying uh, to the Middle East right now. Maybe I'm landing in the Middle East as we speak. I'll be, I I wanted to give you guys my flight number so you could track me as I fly around the world, but then I figured maybe I'd have some haters calling the flight number. It could be, it could be a bad story. So either way, let's just expect I make it where I'm going and you'll get updates from me when I'm there. further ado, I'm going to cut this stupid music right now and let's jump right into this podcast interview. You're going to really like this. I just recorded it. It's a phoner, which means I had Nick call in. So this is a this is a podcast exclusive. We talked about all the different strikes going on, which, you know, if you're not familiar, you know, you strike uh, to get better uh, wages, to get better health care, to get, be- you know, whatever the case may be, it's collective bargaining. And we need more of that in our country because we've been taking advantage of. And Nick is a personal, uh, he knows this because he was on Love is Blind and he witnessed uh, the ways that he was taken advantage of and he's helped create this foundation to provide those rights. And not only has it not gone away, it's picked up a ton of steam. You're going to hear all about that on today's interview. Have a listen to my chat with Nick Thompson. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are so excited to be chatting today with Nick Thompson from Love is Blind, and he's an advocate for uh, the rights of reality TV stars. How you doing, my guy? I'm doing just fine. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Keep advocating. Yeah, we are advocating. Lots of unions in the news. We have um, President Biden, which seems to be the first president to walk the picket line with the UAW auto workers. Uh, What are your thoughts on the general movements that are existing out there between SAG and the Writers Guild and the UAW and now for the reality TV looking to unionize? Well, first thing I want to say is it's about time that labor takes back some of their power. Because I think um, from a political standpoint, labor unions have been sort of kicked under the rug. Um, you know, we've seen several strikes. Uh, we saw a railroad strike that ended up getting overturned. But we've seen people really stepping up and saying, hey, enough is enough. The world has changed a lot. And people still should have basic human rights and representation, no matter what type of work or labor they're providing. And how has your movement grown since the last time we talked with regards to, you know, any consideration from Screen Actors Guild to work with you? And I, we know Bethany Frankel, of course, has talked about unionizing and things like that. How, how, like what, how has it all evolved? 
Yeah, so it's coming along. Um, honest to God, it's coming along faster than I had anticipated from the first time we talked, where we first sort of floated this idea as almost an end game for the movement. And what I think has really come to light when SAG and the WGA are on strike, um, even though I think the WGA has a, a deal on the table now, which is good news. But I think what we've really seen is that when you have SAG and the WGA and Hollywood basically on strike, there is going to be an increase in reality TV production because they have to fill that content void. Um, you're already seeing the content void being filmed filled in different ways, like the NFL having two Monday night games because they don't have a scripted content. So I think that um, what we've really been able to do uh, with the UCAN Foundation, but also advocacy from people like Bethany Frankel and other reality cast members is that we've really shined a light on what production on shows is actually like and what it actually puts people through. Um, and so I initially got reached out or reached out and connected with a director at the Teamsters who was explaining, here's you know, how organizing needs to go down for something like this. Um, I got in great contact with people from SAG-AFTRA, uh, which I talked two months ago and then uh, connected again recently with executives on the contract side over there. And we are, um, you know, we are figuring out sort of the roadmap to make this happen. And I think you're seeing public sentiment change in the direction, not just of unions, but of a uh, uh, union for reality cast members and all unscripted cast members. Yeah. And I think I think one way to generate good publicity is to see who's going to be on the right side of history versus the wrong side of history. So I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up another Nick, Nick Vial. Um, what was the fallout like after hearing him either mischaracterize what you're trying to do or claim that you're just, you know, kind of bent out of shape because you didn't get, you know, a good edit on your show? So Nick Vial. I don't think he quite understood uh, what the UCAN Foundation's goal was or what this movement we're all trying to build is actually for. Um, you know, it's almost as if he is in that um, that management class now where he's making enough money through his podcast and his other endeavors that he doesn't think about the people that go on a show, experience, um, you know, any type of trauma and then don't have any resources afterwards nor do they have any negotiating power before or during because you basically spend that all away in what maybe I would argue are some illegal uh, contract clauses. But when it comes to Nick, I, I don't think people understand that I didn't go on the show to be famous. I don't really have uh, aspirations to be an influencer and make money that way. Um, I've been pretty consistently using my platform to advocate for others um, and to advocate for mental health after experiencing mind deteriorating during and post show. So I, I just, I guess I don't understand the validity of his argument or even really where he's coming from. Um, so it's hard for me to even really address that. And since he won't talk to me uh, and he'd rather talk about me than talk to me, I think, uh, you know, he could just have his opinions and, and keep them to himself or share them and get the backlash that he got last time. 
Yeah, and, and boy, did he get some backlash. Yeah, it's interesting that you kind of labeled it as management class. I always looked at his channel as sort of survivor bias. Like he not just survived the show, he he thrived during a time when people were getting outlandish podcasting deals. I mean, he was part of that cast media. I don't know if you follow that story, but they, you know, they have kind of scammed podcasters out of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. But he was there to, to, to ride the wave during the good times and now can say like, oh, what are they talking? about I've had success after dealing with what I dealt with other people should have dealt with it the way I did but it's like everyone deals with the smears and the editing and all of the mental health issues that come with it in a different way so I like that you're actually trying to put actionable change I see that you have a petition to add a disclaimer to reality tv how would you like that to work so this was a, a great opportunity that came to partner with MoveOn.org, which anyone in politics or the organizing space is familiar with MoveOn.org, and we all probably get the text messages and emails. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to show solidarity among people, among cast members, among viewers, that we are going to start taking production, editing, and people's wellness seriously. And one way to do that, and this actually came to me in a, in a conversation I was having with another podcaster, um, but basically my idea here was after talking to so many people who had been edited into a villain and hearing their story and experience, and whether they said it or they didn't say it, like these are edited for, these shows are edited for dramatic effect. And so by putting on a disclaimer, just like you can watch a documentary or a docuseries or a movie based on actual events, and there's a disclaimer at the beginning. So I think we can do the same thing by reminding everyone at the beginning of each episode that what you are seeing has been edited for storyline purposes, and it may not be an actual representation of reality. Yeah, you know, it's so important because we think people realize this, but I don't know if you remember Blair Witch, but people thought that was real found footage. I mean, back, you know, like, you know, audiences generally are not the smartest people, collectively speaking. I mean, people thought paranormal activity was a real haunting. And it's just like, it's like. Okay, it's, and just so you know, Dave, both of those fooled me. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was 13 and I rode my bike to the movie theater to watch Blair Witch Project, my best friend. I was scared to be outside in the daytime. I was so terrified. And what didn't help is my own mother was like, oh, I remember when that happened from the previews. Oh, funny. No, I mean, hey, don't get me wrong. I've been chasing that high, trying to feel that kind of uh, thrilled. <laughs> yeah, I <we're, laughs> I feel like you and I are about the same age. Yeah, that was when like uh, you couldn't fathom something not being true. And you know, and meanwhile, as as sort of literate as my audience is with regards to villains and heroes and editing, even with all that said, there's something in our brains. I'm not a psychologist, but there's something in there that wants to believe what we're being fed, even knowing like. You know a magic trick is fake, but your brain still thinks it's it it's it's happening. And I think the disclaimer would help out a lot. Um, I also think there's something very sad that contestants sign NDAs thinking they're not going to be a villain because they're not a bad person. And then once they're edited into one, sometimes they can't talk about it. Every show is different, but like The Bachelor, they have to go a whole year. Uh, without, you know, before they can defend themselves in, you know, w w on shows that aren't pre-approved by the, uh, by the bachelor. So is there any work that can be done to like void these NDAs and the sort of silencing of people post edit? 
Yeah, so I, I agree with you. And I, I will say when I read the contract, and again, I know how reality TV was produced. I wasn't a real consumer of it, but I understood how it was produced. And I remember I read the parts of the contract that talk about uh, we can defame you, we can misrepresent you, you you can't do anything about it, you can't speak about it. And um, I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to be me. And I know that I'm, I'm a good guy and I'm trying to do the right thing. And I'm there for, quote, the right reason. So what could possibly go wrong? And luckily for me, there was a, you know, a scene or two that I was like, that's kind of out of context or misrepresenting, but it wasn't anything, um, you know, defaming. It wasn't anything that ruined my life. Um, but it, it is something that ruins other people's lives. Um, I talked to Alyssa Barmundi uh, from Married at First Sight in Australia, and she had to leave the country because she couldn't leave her house without getting uh, insane amounts of criticism and backlash. So these, these shows are, are really damaging to folks. And um, it can really not just mess with your mental health, but literally mess with your life. Um, and, you know, I've been looking for a job and I have to answer any interview that goes past the first couple. I have to have a meeting with HR and explain how I handle being a public figure if some customer recognizes me because I'm customer facing. If a customer recognizes me or I meet a, an analyst and a software analyst that saw the show and didn't like me. And how, how do you navigate that and bring conversations back to business? So even in my situation where it wasn't like a bad edit, I'm still dealing with the repercussions of that in my everyday life. And I liked, I liked what I did. Um, I, I don't have any, uh, like any desires to not continue my career in marketing uh, just because I went on a show. So it, it could be very challenging in ways that I don't think people quite anticipate or can't comprehend if they don't go through it. Because I do think everyone reads that that piece of a contract and they're just like, well, I'm just going to be me and I'm going to be fine. Yeah, I always say it's like, um, you know, because the, the, whole, the whole thing people say is they go, but you signed up for this. You should know. Sure. And I always say like, well, I also signed up to go on a cruise, but I didn't know I'd shit my pants after eating the food. Like there's just <laughs> things you don't know until you go through them and it doesn't make it any less, I don't know, predatory. Um, so how do you how do you defend the idea that reality TV cast members are employees and not say, I don't know, just being uh, documented by the producers? Like, like, how do you, like, how do you, how do you, how do you, like, where do we put reality TV cast members in the, in, in, in tax brackets so that they get the right rights and all of that? Um, I think that is a great question. I think we're actually going to be seeing some of the groundwork in the VA negotiation and then the uh, SAG-AFTRA negotiation. But I think the, the reality is, is what constitutes an employer. And from my perspective and most perspective of, of like legal entities is that you're an employee when you are making someone else's money and they are dictating where you go, what your working hours are, uh, when you're being filmed, what you're talking about. And if you take a look at the lawsuit, that's one of the claims is that technically we were under complete control, especially in the pod for 24 hours a day for three weeks, including the pods in Mexico in love is one. So, um, that is, I mean, to me, like all the definitions point to us being employees, even if, you know, temporary of some sort, or it's a former employer once you're past the show. But there needs to be rights to your likeness. There needs to be rights to, um, you know, your income from the massive profits that these production companies and distributors make over the content. And if you think of it the way I think about it from my show, is they just launched 
season five. And part of the reason that show is so successful is because of my season and the season before me and the seasons after me. So there is, you know, there's a, a snowball effect that has led to, to the show being the most watched reality show of all time. Yeah. And, and like you said, the other issue that exists with the writer's strike and Screen Actors Guild is nobody knows how much the streamers are making. Nobody knows how many mm -hmm. views they're getting. Uh, but obviously, you can judge by certain people's social media followings and certain scenarios. You can, you know, there's definitely heavy numbers coming in. There's a reason why yeah. they shoot batches of sh of these. I mean, I think the Love Is Blind season now they shot two years ago. So it's almost like yeah. these the streamers they they have enough money to stockpile seasons uh, so that they can use that as leverage against the striking SAG and Writers Guild. Mm -hmm. they, you know, they literally said uh, with regards to the Writers Guild, they, they, you know, they had studio heads say, we're going to bleed these writers dry till they lose their homes and have to come back to the bargaining yeah. table. And it's great to see, and I and I believed this all along, that writers and actors and, and the cause you have, they don't understand the fight that exists uh, with workers and people, especially mm -hmm. in Hollywood, that have spent years trying to get some of these jobs, they're willing to march for five months or even a year to get what is rightfully theirs. Like there is going to be no quick solution that benefits the studios because people have been ripped off in the past. I mean, Netflix was initially, I, I've mentioned this on other interviews, you know, my buddy um, that I was roommates with in Harlem when I lived there years ago was on this new web show that, you know, they used to call them web shows, but it turned out to be Orange is the New Black. And oh while gosh. he made a lot of money, you know, because that was Screen Actors Guild, there were still, um, there were still uh, you know, new media contracts that paid a fraction. So uh, the unions kind of signed these contracts not knowing what would happen and then, of course, they, they became super successful, and we don't even know how successful. I always said this about, like, it'd be nice to know how much money Andy Cohen made off of Tom Sandoval's cheating, because it's <laughs> yeah, like, look, no he didn't force Tom Sandoval to cheat, but he made a fortune as a producer, you know, and, you know, and creator and all that of the show. So... It's all about like exposing the the money that's being made and just wanting a fair slice of that pie. Not the whole pie, just a fair slice. Would you agree? I completely agree. I really couldn't have said it better myself. But what I would add on to that, and I think this is uh, one of the things, and I just glanced this morning um, at the preliminary terms with the WGA, and it's a three-year contract, and I think that's done by design because uh, the AI and everything is evolving at a pace that I don't think any of us saw coming. And they're going to need to continue negotiating as technology and and uh, these production companies evolve their tactics. So I, I think it's I think there's a slice of the pie to be had. I think that's important. And I think more than anything else, like we just have to remember that we're not going to live in the Squid Games or the Hunger Games. We are a civilized society, and we need to take human rights and um, human wellness and put that at a, as a priority. Yeah, and in like like we're talking about, as autom automation comes out and as we make certain jobs efficient, I mean, we don't need to be working ourselves to the to, right into our graves anymore. We sh we we should really show that we live in one of the more successful, richest societies ever created, and yet we uh, we do have this Hunger Games gladiator style thing playing out. Um, well, uh, I think you're on the right side of this, and we're always happy to talk about it. 
And um, please, um, if there's anything else I'm missing, let me know. But please come back and keep giving us updates. And I'll post any links below where people can, um, you know, uh, donate and share their petitions. And by the way, thank you so much. I got, I got my Reality Sucks uh, hoodie that I absolutely love. I saw love. it on your show a couple of weeks ago. Oh, I saw the hat a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, the hoodie's that was great. great. I'm glad you got it. Yeah. So how can people find you and, and learn more about what you got going on? Sure. Well, you can find me at and Nick Thompson 513 on TikTok and Thompson 513 on Instagram. You can also just search my name. Um, you can find us at the youcanfoundation.org. And I would also encourage you to uh, check out my podcast, Eyes Wide Open, where I have been uh, trying to talk to as many reality cast members about their experience as possible. And then lastly, moveon.org slash reality. Sign our petition for this disclaimer because we want to get enough signatures that we can hand it to Netflix. Amazing. And thanks again so much for taking the time to give us these updates. My pleasure, Dave. Thanks for the opportunity. It's a roller coaster over here, folks. Some days we have stupid barrel scraping videos, but if this isn't pertinent to what we cover in the Bachelor Nation world in the world of reality TV and entertainment news, I don't know what is. It's not somebody who's being egregious, asking for the world. He's not asking to be the owner of Love is Blind. He's just saying what I think a lot of uh, union uh, workers are saying out there and a lot of other people are just saying give me a fair slice of the pie. That's all that can be asked for. I'm going to be eating my fair slice of the pie as I sit in economy class on this 19 hour long flight. <laughs> Make sure to get up and stretch your legs. The last time I flew across the world I had the fattest ankles after my flight which can be very dangerous. You know what I mean? What do they say? Sitting is the new smoking? How about smoking while you're sitting? That can't be good for you. If you're going to smoke out there you better do it standing. And if you're going to sit, you better not smoke. And either way, here we are smoking our way through this amazing episode. I'm going to wrap it up here, folks. Thank you guys so much for checking me out, for listening, for rating, for reviewing. Partying, partying. Yeah! Partying. Fun, fun. All right, guys, we'll talk to you later. I'll be back tomorrow with uh, Chad from Game of Roses on YouTube. And right here, you can listen to it tomorrow. Bye, everybody.